deepest places of our lives and quicken us, Father, to be alive to your word. Be exalted, Father God, in all that takes place. Teach us in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was uh, informed that I was informed uh, that uh, they're going to take Elijah to the hospital and they're going to check him out and uh, we don't know yet which hospital so uh, but uh, they're just going to check him out it's the right thing for them to do so we shall continue to pray for him and for Lori and Tom and and the others But let us uh, now also uh, focus on the Word of God, which is important for today, the fourth Sunday of Advent. And let us, uh, as we look at the Gospel today, and you may open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, the very first chapter. We're going to be dealing with a number of things in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. As we open uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the, the first thing that I, I want to do, which I think it's important, is that we kind of put the, the Gospel, or what we heard today, that we put it in, in the geographical context, that we put it in a context uh, that will help us all understand and see what it is that is going on in this Scripture that leads ultimately to the birth of Jesus. Um, the first thing is to remember that Zechariah, Zechariah was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. That's how the Gospel of Luke begins, with Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, in the temple. He was of the family of the priesthood of Aaron. And uh, he had been chosen to be the one at that particular time to be inside of the holy place taking care of the incense and the showbread and the candles that were lit inside of the holy place. And it was his turn to do that and to care for it for uh, a period of time. While Zechariah is inside doing his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel appears to him. And the angel gives him a prophecy that basically said that he was now going to be a father in his old age. He and Elizabeth were barren. They were older, much older, beyond certainly the age of conception for Elizabeth. And here comes the angel and probably speaks to, to him about fulfilling a prayer they probably had prayed every day and probably gave up praying after a certain age. And probably decided this is never going to happen. So the Lord must have another plan. 
and he probably stopped praying. And that's when the angel comes and says to them that they're going to have a child. Certainly at that age it would be a miracle child, wouldn't it? It would be a miracle child. And the angel tells Zechariah many things about this child. And his name would eventually be John the Baptist. Days after that time, Zechariah returns home. And in the due course of a marriage of husband and wife, Elizabeth conceives. And according to scriptures, we are told that Elizabeth hid herself for five months. She would not see anybody. She didn't tell anybody. She just hid away in her home, creating a secret space for her to go through this pregnancy. Probably a lot of it may have had to do with some shame at her age. Pregnant. What's going on? So verse 24 of chapter 1 of Luke tells us that she hid herself away. Mary, her cousin, doesn't know a thing. And probably her neighbors do not know either that she is pregnant. On the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... The angel Gabriel appears to another woman, to a woman named Mary, up in the area of Nazareth. And the, the angel tells Mary that she too is going to conceive and bear a child. The only problem was... That although the conception of John the Baptist in Elizabeth was a miracle because of the age, it wasn't a miracle in that it involved a husband. In the case of Mary, her problem with the message of the angel was, I know no man. I've never been with a man. How am I going to be pregnant? Or bear a child. The miracle of the virgin birth of Mary. Or of Jesus. Is a miracle beyond any miracles we find in any scriptures. In the Bible we find a number of places where barren women are caused to conceive. But never a virgin without the involvement of a man. And. When she questions the angel and says, I know no man, how is this going to be? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come over you. And the Holy Spirit will cause you to conceive. So that the one that is born of you will be known as the Son of God. At which time Mary in a remarkable fashion, says to the angel, let it be done unto me as the Lord wills. Here's the handmaiden of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. 
to do with me, to do with my body, to do with my life as the Lord has determined. And the angel tells Mary that if she wants to be certain of what the angel is saying, that she is to go check Mary out, who hasn't told, uh, to go check Elizabeth out, who hasn't told anyone that she's pregnant, to go and see what God has done with Elizabeth, and then she'll know what God has done with her. According to the scriptures, we believe that Elizabeth and Zechariah lived in Hebron, a few miles away south of Jerusalem, and about four or five days away from Nazareth, where Mary was. The only thing Luke tells us is that, it, that she went to the hilly part of Judea. But we know from other passages of Scripture that Zechariah was from descendants of people in Hebron, just like Jesus is born in Bethlehem as a descendant of David. So Mary takes a trip that is about four or five days long. I want to say to you also at this point that Joseph had no idea she was pregnant. She hadn't said anything to anyone. And the likelihood, in fact, I know that she wouldn't be showing yet. She wouldn't be showing anything, so she has kept in her heart the secret of what the angel had said, as Elizabeth had kept in her heart and in her home what God had done for her. The moment that Mary reaches the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, upon seeing Mary and Mary greeting her, three things happen. One of them is that Mary or, or Elizabeth, the baby in her womb, leaps. Now, I know you ladies who have had children that you, you say, oh, touch me here. The baby's moving. This leap was nothing like that. This leap was of such a normal leap that it becomes the evidence of her knowing that the one that just greeted her, there's something special about her. So the first thing that happens is this baby gets all excited. John the Baptist gets all excited in the womb of his mother. The second thing that happens is that Scripture tells us that at that very moment, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing that happens is that she bursts forth in prophetic song. And the song of Elizabeth goes something like this. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting, greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for, that, for there will be a fulfillment 
of those things which were told her from the Lord. She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord... Well, how did she know that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, she's very aware that God is doing something because he just did something with her. Right? She's very aware because Zachariah told her how an angel had appeared to him. And she herself experienced the pregnancy in her old age. So she knows God is about something. Number two, she's very clear. The baby somehow in, her, in his limping, limping or uh, uh, jumping around and, and, and enjoying is telling her there's something different going on in the presence of Mary. And third, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. So as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, there is an understanding that comes upon Elizabeth that she's in the presence of the one carrying the Savior, the expected Messiah. These events, I believe, are what inform Elizabeth that she's in the presence of her Lord's mother. And upon Elizabeth bursting out in song and in praise and, and so on, Mary starts with her own song. What is called the Magnificat. In the Latin it's called the Magnificat. It comes from the very first line of her song. The line, My soul magnifies the Lord. The Magnificat basically is a song of magnifying the Lord. As I look, and as I want you to look with me at the Magnificat, the song of praise that comes and bursts from Mary, I actually see in the Magnificat, I would say, a division that I want to point out to you. The first few verses of the Magnificat, or what I would call the first session of the Magnificat, is really all about Mary. Mary is the focus of the beginning of the Magnificat. And if you read it with me, you will see that there are at least seven references in this beginning song of Mary that have to do with her. She either speaks about me or my. Seven times in the initial song that she begins to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his made servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Those, that first beginning of the Magnificat is magnifying God for what he has done in her. And the effect that it has on her. 
But as she continues the Magnificat, the last part of the Magnificat, the last five verses are all about God. There is no mention whatsoever of Mary or reference to Mary, but it's all about what God has done in a Exodus typology type of thing. This is how God has dealt in the past with Israel. It says, He, God, has shown strength with His arm. He, God, has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He, God, has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. There are at least ten references here to God's work of deliverance, his work for the care of the humble, his justice toward the rich, and a deliverance of his people Israel as he promised to Abraham and his seed. So the first part is about Mary, and the second part is all about God. I want to say to you that the message of the Magnificat, as I look at it, the message of the Magnificat, at least to Mary, as she explodes in song, is that God had done something mighty for Israel before. He had had a strong arm. He had had a mighty purpose through Israel. God had loved His people. God has delivered His people. God has been involved in the life of Israel. And where He needed to punish Israel, He did. And where He needed to exalt Israel, He did. Because He is the God with the people. The first thing that the Magnificat is about is that God is a God that acts. He's a God that is at work. And the second part of it is that as God had done before, God was about to do again in her life. The same caring, the same loving, the same trustworthiness of God who has been promising the Messiah... From the beginning of Genesis, is now going to fulfill itself in this birth, in this virgin. As God has been, God is now with her. And I want to say to you that God has not changed. I want to say to you that as God has been, God was with Mary and God is with us. Because God is still caring. God is still loving. God is still trustworthy. God still has a plan for each and every one of us. God still is at work in this world until he brings things to the end. God is at work then in Mary and now. Because God is not idle. And God still cares. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever as it is said of Jesus Christ in Hebrews. Unchanging. His arm has not diminished. His strength is not less. His purpose has not changed. 
God is the same as he was with Israel. He would be with Mary and he would be with us. I'm reading a new book among the several that I have going. At least three. I don't seem to be reading just one book at a time. I'm reading a new book that was recommended to me a long time ago and I finally got it. It's called The Life of Christ by Fulton Sheen. And perhaps some of our um, more advanced uh, in age uh, members might remember Fulton Sheen either on television or the radio back in the 40s and and 50s and and it's my understanding. I never had the the pleasure of listening to him but but I know he did. He had a a tremendous ministry uh, in the radio and TV. Probably the very first uh, preacher on TV was uh, uh, Fulton Sheen. And as I'm reading this, this book Uh, He says these three things I want to share with you, which I think are very, very important. The first thing he says is that if a woman played such a role in the fall of mankind, should she not play a great role in its restoration? Isn't that beautifully said? Just like a woman had such a great role in bringing sin into the world and with sin death, it took a woman to bring life into the world and resurrection and redemption. The second thing he said, which also touched me very much, he says, as the fall of man was a free act, so too the redemption had to be a free act. What is called the Annunciation was actually God asking the free consent of a creature to help him to be incorporated into humanity. Isn't that beautiful, he said? Just as it was the free will of Adam and Eve to sin sin and, and through them bring death, it took a woman, a virgin... It's as if God came to Mary and asked for permission for her willingness to open her life and her womb at whatever cost to her. That he asked for her willingness to enter this world as a human being. Not as an angel. Not as a created being created somewhere else and just appearing on a mountain. But as a little baby, fully, completely human. And one of us by birth and by humanity. And that's part of the beauty of Mary saying to the angel, Let it be unto me as the Lord wills. My womb is ready. My heart is ready. I may be shunned by my culture. I may be divorced by my wife. I may be stoned if they follow the Jewish law for adultery. Let it be unto me as the Lord wills. And she willingly enters into this relationship where she becomes the bearer of God. And then the third thing that touched me as I'm reading this book. He says... 
when the divine child was conceived, Mary's humanity gave him hands and feet, eyes and ears, and a body with which to suffer. You see, from the very beginning of the incarnation of Jesus, the idea that Jesus would come to die was there. In fact, Fulton Sheen says that Jesus is the only baby who's told that he's come to die before he's told he's come to be born. Every one of us, we are born and then we're told we're going to die one day. Jesus is born already with the sign of the cross hanging over him. Even before he's born, he's, the name that is given him is Jesus, which means Savior. How was he going to save? Through his death. A human being dying for all human beings. A fully human being, completely human, from conception to birth, through life, through sacrifice, through death, and glorious resurrection. But I also want to talk about a different thing. One of the beautiful things here in the Magnificat and also in what Elizabeth sings is blessed be the mother of my Savior. Blessed is the... How does it go? Blessed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And, Jesus, and Mary herself says that from this point on, all generations will call her blessed. And I have to say to you that among women, there's not another one like Mary. That Mary indeed was marked by God, chosen by God, for something that elevated her beyond any and all human beings. Indeed, she is the blessed mother of Jesus Christ and the vehicle by which Jesus comes into the world to save you and me. But I want to also say to you that there is a tremendous difference between venerating Mary and worshiping Mary. I know that the Catholic Church, for example, they have the doctrine of veneration. But what people actually do is worship. Veneration, when you look it up in the dictionary, to venerate is to lift you up, to hold you as an example, to see how important you are, how what you've done is important, something I can copy, I venerate you. But to worship any other than God is forbidden by the Ten Commandments. You will have no images of anything in heaven, of anything on earth, or anything below. You will not bow down and worship them. So Mary indeed is blessed as the mother of my Lord. And I venerate her. And I hold her high. If I hold my own mother high, I hold the mother of my Lord Jesus in the highest esteem. But nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, do we see the worship of Mary? I don't see it in the apostles. 
I don't see it in Paul. I don't see it in the life of the church. I don't see it anywhere from beginning to end where people bow down to Mary or any of the saints or any of the apostles because it is something that goes contrary to the word of God clearly stated in numerous places that we are not to worship anyone. I think Mary is blessed. I think Mary should be lifted up. I think Mary should be loved. I think Mary should be held in the highest esteem because she sacrificed it all in order to do the will of God, even though she didn't know what it all meant. When Simeon goes to the temple and the baby's already born, Simeon also sings a song. And part of his song is that a sword will will go through the heart of Mary. As Jesus had come to die, Mary was going to experience the pain of the loss of her son. Mary was going to experience all that losing someone you dearly love and see sacked, not just dying because they had a heart attack, but killed in the manner in which Jesus was killed. And she was there at the cross and she saw it. And as nails went through the hands of Jesus, in symbol, a sword went through the heart of a mother. And so Mary should indeed be venerated and held high and blessed among women is Mary. But not worshipped. Not worshipped. That is not in scripture. And if I ever teach you anything, you can find it in scripture. The only ones to be worshipped in all of the scriptures is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And no one else. No angel. No creature. And no one else. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has not left us alone then, in Mary, or now. God is still at work in this world. And I pray we may have many Marys and many men with the same spirit to say, Lord, let it be unto me as you will. Use me in my world, in my situation. Use me as you want me used. Use me. Let your will be done and not mine. I pray some of you will be, will have that same attitude, that same spirit. And that you will not just have it, but that you will tell the Lord, Lord, my heart is open. Do unto me as you have planned for my life. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen. Stand with me.